De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast. An I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell, and today we're going to discuss how to use community-based marketing for more conversions. Joining us is Anna Tutska, who is the head of digital marketing at ManyChat, which has exploded into the number one chat marketing platform in the world. Deployed by nearly 2 million businesses across 190 countries, ManyChat is driving sales, qualifying leads, and nurturing customer relationships for business all around the globe. So far this week, Anna and I have talked about turning community into a marketing team. And today, we're going to wrap up our conversation by discussing supercharging your influencer campaigns. Okay, here's my conversation with Anna Tutska, the head of digital marketing at ManyChat. Anna, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Doug. So great to be back. We had a really nice conversation before that. We did yesterday. And I have to tell you, I'm I'm excited to dig into this next piece because I have to tell you, it feels like our digital has gotten wobbly over the years. And, you know, direct response has come to be something that used to be very dependable for us. But over time, I feel like its effectiveness has diminished. And I think the market is saturated. And I think in many ways, influencers have become the go-to for many marketers who are looking for alternatives. So how did you guys get started with influencer marketing? And, And was it a response to the decline in digital performance? It actually was. Like, honestly, we relied a ton of paid media on direct response ads for a lot of our growth. But once we we launched Instagram automation a year ago, um, that was a huge thing, you know, to a company, to markets. We had a lot of anticipation from our users, but we also wanted to onboard a lot of new customers. And 70% of the budget, my marketing budget, was planned to spend on ads because it always worked. We're going out to the market. We're spending this marketing dollars. We have a huge variety of digital assets. We have a great design team that put those together and it doesn't work. (laughs) It was so bad. It was actually like 10 X, you know, of all the forecasted numbers, you know, that we had in terms of spend, and I had to regroup with the team and to first of all, realize what's working, what's not, and come up with a new plan. And so what we learned is the product that we offer isn't that easy to use. And in order to do that, especially it's pretty much with every new product, you need to rely on a lot of education and then change of habit of the user. And then we started thinking, what channels could facilitate that? 
Of course, on the internal side of things, we were investing a lot in educational courses and educational YouTube videos that potential customers would go to. But then we wanted to have this resource that not only educates, but bring in new customers. And we decided to test out influencers. That's basically how we started. So I understand the gap. I understand that. And we've all been there before. (laughs) I've sat on top of a couple digital campaigns that had CPAs in the $1,500 range, right? We've, we've been in that place before, right? Where we, we have this beautifully architected thing we launch out into the world and the answer back is no, thank you. Yeah. So how do you make that leap though? Like, how did you guys make that leap? What were the heuristics? In other words, what were those indicators that a pivot to influencers would work for you guys? So in terms of how we made this leap is we sliced and diced the customer funnel, acquisition funnel. And what we learned that the market actually was pretty ready for the product. There was a lot of interest. We were getting a lot of clicks. They were pretty cheap. We were getting a lot of landing page views. They were also pretty like within normal, within the range. But then we saw a lot of drop off that was happening within the registration process and within the onboarding process. So folks were excited, but not that committed yet in order to invest their time and resources in the product. And what we saw that the referral traffic that was coming from the website from organic influencers, if you were to say that, was actually doing pretty well. All of those conversion rates within the registration process and within the product onboarding were higher for this referral traffic. So we're like, cool, now we need to escalate referral traffic. So where do you go? You go to influencers. And we basically identified a handful of folks within Instagram, Instagram automation, Instagram education side of things that were targeting the same audience we wanted to target. And we manually started reaching out to them and offering the product because the huge thing that I truly believed in and I believe in until today is that it's not enough to advertise the product. It's not authentic. You've got to find people who would be excited about your product and would want to use it on a daily basis. So their follower base would see that and that's that they would believe in the product and would want to use it themselves. So that's how we did it. Just a manual 10 people test. So still a bit of a leap there, Anna. So I'm going to call you out on this because I think this is also very, very clever. And a point I really want to make sure we tease out here, which was the evidence in the buyer's journey and the evidence in the funnel you were seeing was that it was an offer that had appeal. So your top of funnel metrics looked really solid. You guys sliced that a bit finer. You noticed that your referral conversion rates were higher than other conversion rates, but there's still a leap there, right? There's still a leap, right? So your, your referral rates are higher, but how do you get to the influencer piece from higher referral rates, right? Typically referral rates indeed are higher. Were you able to, what were you able to pick up on? Because I, I feel like that's really the key to that decision to make the pivot for you guys. Yeah, because the referral rates that we were able to trace were from the digital marketing, marketing resources that were talking about the product. So those were type of the influencers, but more from the brand perspective. And we thought that we wanted to get more of those, but that were not 
perceived as sponsorships because the other thing we could do is we could sponsor a ton of digital marketing magazines, digital marketing online websites or newsletters, which we actually did later on and it didn't work that much as, you know, with influencers. But we wanted to have that authentic review and usage of the product that was similar to those articles that wrote about us just because they wanted to, not because we paid them. So Anna, I want to tease something out of here that's that's really key that you guys nailed, which is the the piece where you went out and you decided that you were going to find influencers. That was a manual process. But the key thing you nailed was the fact that those influencers had to be enthusiastic about the product. So reaching out to those folks at the end of the day, the key thing was they were happy to help because they believed in the product and they believed that it ultimately would do good. What else did you do to make sure that that part of your overall community marketing approach that we talked about yesterday, because I can see these things coming together in your mind, your eyebrows, you can't see this folks, but Anna's eyebrows just went up. This is a two-pronged approach that's clearly worked really well for Anna. Tell me about how you've really made sure that those influencers keep, continue to have their advocacy for you and your product. That's a really good question that I love because we did a lot of right and wrong things. <laughs> so we succeeded in one way, we failed in a lot of other ways. So the first thing that was, again, very successful is handpicking a good number of influencers that really enjoyed the product. They wanted to use the product themselves, dedicate a good internal resource, number of internal resources that can help them get the most out of the product so they continue using it, get bad benefits of it, and then they educate their communities on the product. So that was a good, very positive part. And it helped us to, you know, continue getting a lot of customers from those folks. Bad thing that we actually do, which I think is worth mentioning as well, is me being as head of marketing, I was like, okay, cool. That's amazing. Guys, we are seeing such great results. Let's scale that. Now I want not 10 people like that. I want 100. And the team was like, but how? We don't have a lot of resources. We're onboarding them as if they're our like family. And I was like, let's keep that part. Let's just create content that converted for those guys reach out to everyone in the digital marketing space that are talking about anything related to Instagram, give them this content, pay them, and that's it. We'll get the same results. It did not work at all. Nobody converted out of that batch of the influencers. That was, you know, a learning curve. My team was right. I was wrong. We move on. Well, I have to say, I wish this was a leadership episode, Anna, because that's a hallmark of great leadership. So, hey, uh, for the team that uh, works for Anna, listen in, folks. Anna saying she was wrong. But I have to say, that's, that's, I think that's a common mistake, though, right? We, we, I think there was brilliance in understanding that the referral traffic really was speaking to the need to really reach out to a different audience, right? Understanding there was enthusiasm, but finding the people that were more attached to the product, those influencers. But really, we call this unicorn hunting, right? At the end of the day, you didn't recognize that you had a few unicorns and was like, oh, no, these are just grasshoppers. Go find a bunch more. Any other things that you would point to here from an approach standpoint? Because this, I have to say, is a really good roadmap for folks listening in. Any other things you stepped in on or they should be aware of since we're in this confessional mode right now? <laughs> I think that was the biggest. 
What we also tried out is, and that was actually a very positive side of thing, is we decided to expand globally because the product works for a lot of different countries. And we decided that we want influencers in different countries. And that's actually interesting. So what we did is we tapped into our community and we asked our community, do you want to help us? Do like who of you guys want to become a local influencer marketing manager to help us build influencer marketing presence? like within your country or within your geolocation. And we build presence in Latin America. We had over, at the end of the day, I think 30 influencers there, completely managed, you know, by amazing person who was part of the community. Right now, she's like almost, you know, part of the marketing team. And she helped us build out the influencer marketing presence there. We did the same thing in Europe and we did the same thing in Philippines. So that helped us expand because you can only tap into a certain amount of brand advocates within your geography, but geography actually can be expanded. That's a thing that can be expanded. Okay. Anna, so we mentioned early on that at the end of the day, like a lot of small company marketing leaders, you have to be adroit and you have to be able to react and you talked about really at the end of the day, community marketing and influencer marketing being a reaction to some decline in digital performance. Are there things about that decline that ultimately you found actually got better as a result of influencer and community marketing? Are you feeling like that part of the business still is in decline? I'm so glad you asked that because it was pretty unfair for me or for other marketers to mention that ads don't work, period. They still work, right? We need to tap into those, but we need to be creative and we need to think how to stand out within the competition that is out there. And so what I found out with influencer marketing and with ads on how can we marry those together to get better results. And that's exactly what we did. So you have this good amount of very authentic influencers that use your product, that enjoy your product, and they talk the hell out of your product. But you only tap into their followers when they do it organically, right? And even if it's 500,000, even if it's a million, the number of people that understand the value, they would convert within the first, I don't know, three months, you know, at most. But then you want to keep nurture this relationship and get the most out of the relationship. So what we did is, first of all, we used influencer generated content that was very educational, like specific for the industry, the influencer was in and very authentic. And we used it for our ads. So instead of the banners, the videos that our internal team put together, that content, the influencer content converted at the way better scale. So that's the one thing where we put our marketing dollars and ads into. Another cool thing that we did with influencers is whitelisting. So what it means is influencers would give you access to their ad accounts and you can run ads as if you were an influencer. It's still going to be sponsored, but then it it's not going from the brand, it's going from the person, third party that people know most likely or trust or still 
see that someone else was talking about the brand, which again was extremely beneficial, got to way better results. And we were able, you know, to scale and to get to higher growth potential. Well, I think we've created a beautiful circle here. We started our conversation yesterday by talking about how we had to react to declines in, in digital marketing overall, performance-based ads, building out communities, using influencer marketing to fill those gaps. And at the end of the day, you've been clever enough to return to this idea that digital has more swing if we're using influencer-generated content. We're understanding overall that digital you know, still has its place. I, I think the other thing I want to understand a bit more is whitelisting. That feels like something that frankly, at the end of the day, depends on a lot of trust between the marketer and the influencer. And I understand it's pay for play, but how do you get to the point that the influencer trusts you enough that they're willing to really let you impact their brand? First of all, it trusts, and it's something that you build when you work with a human being, when you see that you tap into their world because you have mutual interests and you are always there for them when you have when they have their questions, you help them with onboarding, you help them with the product, you always pay on time and then boom, there is this trust. But more often what is important is to find this win-win and explain the benefits to those influencers because you'd be very surprised. Even those influencers that are within digital marketing space, they don't know marketing that well. And they know their niche. They're amazing at creating content those specifics and how to run ads, what audience, you know, we're going to show it to and what is going to be the benefit for them. That's what we had to highlight. And from that perspective, they were getting a ton of new traffic, a ton of new eyeballs to their brand. They were having a huge boost in the new followers because their content was shown to like so many folks outside of their followers. So there was a huge benefit right there. And the only thing basically the influencers want, not the only thing, but one of the main things is to continuously growing their presence. So they were getting that with us running ads and we were getting conversions that we were hoping for. Uh, thank you. This has been a masterclass in adroit CMO, let's get it done, growth marketing. Well done. Thanks, Doug. Always happy to share. All right. That wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Anna Tutska, Head of Digital Marketing at ManyChat for joining us. If you would like to contact or learn more about Anna, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in her show notes or visit her company website at manychat.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about if you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast. Head over to RevGenPod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generated Podcast, or you can even share the revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Sorry, no TikTok. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is MarketAdvocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed in the next business day. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself. 